Art has the power to allow students new ways of communication. For some students, finding their voice in this way is critical to their success. Today, we'll talk with a teacher who's using visual arts to bridge communication gaps in his school and across world cultures. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskel. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, we'll introduce you to innovative ideas, we'll stretch your thinking, and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. Before we dive into today's show, there are still a few spots available to join Diane and I on a teacher adventure to Kenya in June of 2020. We've partnered with Bookbag Tours to put together an incredible two-week itinerary. We're going to be visiting some incredible schools, learning from some of the best teachers in the world, talking with educators, having animal experiences, going on safari. It's going to be an amazing two weeks, and we hope that you're going to join us. Visit bookbagtours.com and click on the Kenya trip to see more information. Brad LaDuke grew up in a rural community in north-central Kansas. It was there as a young boy that he found a passion for creating, before attending college to become a teacher. As an innovative educator, Brad strives to promote an environment that both challenges and nourishes himself and his students. In 2013, Brad was named the Millican Educator for the state of Kansas and the Distinguished Kansan for Education. Later in 2014, he was a fellowship recipient for the Lowell Millican Center for Unsung Heroes. He was also the 2018-2019 Outstanding Secondary Art Educator of the Year for the state of Kansas through KAEA. Hey, Brad, welcome to the show. Hello, Michael. Glad to be here. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you help your students use art to do some good in the world? You bet. Uh, so, so I've been an art teacher now for 18 years, and uh, I, I've always been, always been the type that likes to work with my hands, likes to, likes to make things, and, and finds a lot of joy and satisfaction in doing that. And so uh, as an art teacher, uh, a big part of what I think I try to do really is to try to share that that love for making things with my kids. And, you know, there's a range of, of, of art making activities uh, from, from the basics to, you know, hopefully taking kids in a direction that allows them to have that aha moment where they realize that they can not only impact themselves, but potentially impact others and, and make the world a better place with their art. And one of my favorite things about the art that you do, Brad, is the element of reaching out into their community. So one of my favorite projects is how you find the hero in your school, the collaborative art assignment. Can you explain that one for us? So yeah, one of my, one of my most favorite contemporary artists is a man by the name of Chuck Close. He's, uh, he's probably in his late 70s now, but kind of became internationally famous back in the late 60s when he kind of reinvented what portraiture was by creating these large seven by nine foot photorealistic portraits. And uh, I, I love his work, but I also love his story. I love the, his story of overcoming adversities in his life. He's somebody who 
uh, at one point was paraplegic and uh, overcame some of those fears and uh, some of those disabilities to continue to create art. And, uh, you know, high school students love to create work that's realistic. And so for several years now, kind of piggybacking off of his, his work, uh, art historically, uh, I have students select somebody in the building that they would like to honor as an, a local unsung hero, somebody that's in the building who uh, is affecting others in a positive way but is really flying under the radar or, or relatively unnoticed. And so on, on the first day of class in my advanced classes, um, I have students come in, and, and that's one of the first conversations we have is, hey, who in the building do you want to honor with an unsung hero portrait? And so the students uh, collectively decide who that person's going to be, and it's ranged from, you know, uh, the lead principal in our building to a cafeteria worker to a student, and it's always, as a group, they have to decide who they want to do it, and they all have to agree, so it's always, uh, right off the bat, a collaborative uh, work uh, where they have to learn to work together, which is a huge, you know, learning curve for any any age, uh, especially a high school student. So they they decide on that person. They have to contact them, tell them what they're up to, photograph them, and then again collectively produce a seven by nine foot portrait that's as realistic as possible, which is later hung in the building to honor that person, uh, along with an essay that's based on an interview that the students do with that uh, person they would like to honor. So it. You know, it has a has a huge impact, I think, not only on the students, again, realizing that, hey, I, I can I can make art not only about myself and for me, but for others, advocating for others. And, and it really uh, just it's, it's a big deal when you honor somebody in the building like that in such a big way, like literally a big way. I think it's always a little a little overwhelming when they get to see their portrait for the first time, very much like Chuck Close's work. What I'm hearing as you're talking is that your students are very much using visual art as a means of communication and they're they're using it to communicate about the unsung heroes in their building um, and to reach beyond can you talk maybe a little bit about how some of your students that might not communicate well in other subject areas are finding their way through your art class so yeah it's a great question i i had a moment this was probably six seven years ago in a it was a printmaking class and we were having a critique and I had a, a student by the name of Ross, and th this was a, a kid that I, I, I love. I still love the kid. Uh, admired him in a lot of ways. And we were having a critique. Kids had worked on this project for probably three to four weeks, and this was the moment where they got to share it with each other, you know, visually and orally. And, and he got up, and or we actually put all the work in front of the class, and, and the students came up. And, and I'll never forget Ross, uh, when it came to his, his, uh, his turn to talk about his work, you know, he got in there and he actually – uh, picked up his print and and he was visually visibly shaking i mean the the print was shaking as he was holding it and and it was definitely a moment for me as an educator where I realized that you know our content area as art teachers you know has the ability to give students a voice without saying a word and his print was clearly the strongest work in that critique, and yet you know he he got up to to tell us about it and and he really didn't have have to say a word you know his his piece did it all for him and I love that idea that uh, art teachers have the ability uh, kind of as you as you said to to give students a voice uh, sometimes without saying a word and and as a kid growing up I was definitely uh, somebody who was who was probably a little shy and, and introverted somebody who still uh, you know has 
very much those characteristics. And so I love that. I love that about what we do. What I've also really kept close to my heart to the time that I've known you is this idea that you talk about project-based healing versus project-based learning. How does healing occur through art in your classroom? I, f- I feel like art transcends a lot of things, and that's definitely one of the things that it, that it transcends. And, and in, in the past as an art teacher, sometimes I, I will literally have projects that are project-based, but literally uh, you know, called project-based healing where the students are specifically encouraged within the parameters of the project to, to create a work of art that uh, has a connection back to an experience that they've had as a, as a, as a human being and, and something that uh, potentially was, was, a, was a hard time to live through. And so they create a work based on that as far as a healing process, you know, very kind of art therapeutic uh, in nature. Currently, like in my, in my printmaking class, uh, we're, we're doing a project right now where they are creating t-shirt designs for students who live in an orphanage in Bangladesh. And, and just today we had a guest speaker came and spoke to our kids. I mean, literally just minutes ago, she, she left and her and I were talking as she walked out and had a moment where I, I was telling her, you know, I, I just, I love the fact that, you know, this project allows the students to uh, not only make an impact on or, you know, think about the giving process of making an impact on her kids. But in the end, it really impacts our kids just as much as their kids. And, and, and part of that's healing. I mean, there, there's a, a young woman who I know is hurting right now with some of the, the recent things that, that have gone on in her life that are public uh, in nature. And I, and I could have seen it in her eyes today as, as we were having those discussions uh, where she had that moment of, of realizing, you know, even in those circumstances, how lucky she is with the blessings she has currently in her life. What was the journey like for you as a teacher to get to a place where that kind of teaching is comfortable? Because that's, that's pretty far outside the box. And I would imagine that when you first got out of college, that wasn't the kind of things that you were doing in your classroom. So how did, how did, you, how did you get to start doing these kinds of things in your classroom? Ooh, good question, too. I think, to be honest, I think part of it's luck. Uh, for me, a lot of it's a God thing. Uh, I, I just think those things are put in my life, uh, you know, with intention. And then just, you know, walking in the flesh and just being intentional about looking for those things too. But, but I, when I look back on my career, I think probably one of the, the people who had the largest impact early on was a, was a guy by the name of Ben Schumacher. And uh, if there's any, you know, visual art teachers listening to the podcast, that's a name that they would probably be familiar with. But Ben Schumacher started a project called the Memory Project. Uh, it's probably been established for 15 to 20 years and my understanding is when he was in college, he visited an orphanage. And while he was there, he had this vision of, of hope, of the idea of potentially photographing some of those students, bringing back the images and distributing those in the United States to art teachers and students who could uh, recreate those images and then gift those back to the kids. And, and Ben Schumacher, I, you know, wherever that vision came from for him, I really have to give him a ton of credit for, for having an impact on me as an educator, you know, and my students. And with that project, go ahead and explain what happens in the Ben Shoemaker project. When these pictures are handed back to our teachers, what's the next step? So in the memory project uh, with, with Ben Schumacher, uh, again, his, his organization takes those photos, distributes them in the United States. Uh, our teachers give those to the kids their kids and then the kids get to spend you know sometimes 10 20 30 hours looking into the eyes 
of a young man or woman who, who lives in, a, in circumstances entirely different from their own, who likely has much less, potentially much happier, but they, they get to interact with them and then produce a portrait. And then uh, again, uh, when they're finished, they give, uh, they send those back to Ben who hand delivers those to these children. Some who don't even, have never even, you know, had their photo taken or don't even have uh, family photos. They don't have a family. And again, it's just that idea of that flex of, of, of giving and receiving. And it's just an interesting pendulum, I think. And it's very powerful in the arts. I would imagine just trying to put myself in the, in the shoes of a student going through that kind of process, that it would develop the empathy and compassion that we're so looking for in schools, because it's forcing kids to have to put themselves in someone else's shoes to be able to visually represent them. Is that, is that what you've seen through the project? Yeah, I think you hit it. You hit the, the nail on the head there. Yeah. Just uh, building uh, empathy and, and yeah, just get uh, pr- providing, uh, being intentional about providing opportunities for your students where they have that, that chance to, yeah, put themselves in the shoes of somebody else. And, uh, and I, I, I was telling the kids today that and telling our, our guest visitor Elaine today that my hope always with those projects is that when the students are done, they, you know, they, they go home and they potentially think about, the, the the freedoms the opportunities they have you know in this case in the united states that a lot of kids don't have and, and for for many many of us we take for granted i know i'm as guilty as anybody yeah what brought us together is this common connection with the Lowell milken center for unsung heroes through the work that you've done there and your students have done not only have they found an unsung hero but there's also this art piece project that you've helped to inspire. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so the, the Lowell Milken Center for, for Unsung Heroes, it's a nonprofit organization in Fort Scott, Kansas. Uh, you know, a huge fan of the work they do. And again, uh, giving students the chance to interact with these unsung hero stories, these, <clears throat> these stories in history that most know little if nothing about, but, but these stories that have a profound impact on the lives of the students who learn about them. And so, uh, they have a new, a newer project called the Artifact Project, which is is project based but also very specific to uh, visual arts. And so students essentially uh, interact with a, a story, or I mean, there's there's probably close to a hundred on their website that they that they've celebrated, and they immerse themselves in those stories. And then just like Michael said a bit ago, you know, put themselves in the shoes of these these people who have made you know profound decisions. Uh, you know, there were choices that were made to, to impact others in a positive way. And so learning about those and then being able to reflect, not only by just thinking, but visually reflect on telling those stories, and then being able to share those with, uh, you know, their community as well. And as an educator, I've, I've just felt enormously blessed to, uh, to collaborate with the Lowell Milken Center on different levels, but, um, you know, and, and be a part of that uh, that competition as far as helping them uh, spread the news and, and impact students in the process. I'd like to take a second to tell you about the sponsor that's made today's episode possible. GoToScience is an incredible tool that allows pre-K through second grade students the opportunity to learn all aspects of the curriculum through scientific inquiry. Every month, we give away a free one-year subscription to GoToScience. To win this month, 
Simply tell us on social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, why you think you deserve a free subscription. At the end of the month, we'll choose one lucky listener. I'd also like to let you know that if you're going to be at ISTE in Philadelphia this June, you can stop by and see Diane and I. We'll be giving a poster session from 10 to 12 on Tuesday, and we would love to meet some of our listeners. So stop by and say hi. Now let's get back to the show. In addition to being a Lowell Milken Fellow, um, you were also a recipient of the Milliken Educator Award. And I know that that is, um, that is quite the experience receiving that award because it is, it's a surprise for you. So talk a little bit maybe about uh, what that day was like and some of the opportunities that it opened up for you afterwards. So, yeah, that day is, is uh, burned in my, my memory. Uh, it was October 17th, 2013. I, I can even still remember the drive to school that morning and just, just having a, yeah, I, I just knew it was going to be a great day. It just felt, felt like a good day, but. But uh, yeah, it was a surprise notification, and so we, uh, leading up to that event today, we knew that there was going to be a uh, some kind of gathering in the in the gymnasium, and we we didn't really know what it was. I thought it was going to be for some kind of school uh, school assembly for a, a school recognition. So we we got in there, uh, two thousand people in the gymnasium, and our governor was there. Just some of these pretty high profile people, and and the bands playing and then it, it just kind of slowly crept into an award ceremony. And, and it, it seemed obvious that our school was going to receive an award of some kind that was, that seemed prestigious. And, but then Lowell Milken was introduced to at the time I, I didn't know who he was. Now I, I definitely know who Lowell is and uh, you know, got to talking about the importance of education. And then this just kind of funneled down into, Hey, we're going to, we're going to uh, honor a teacher in the building. And, you know, my, my mind's just scrambling because there, there were so many dynamic uh, teachers in that building, and and I, I, you know, I had all these people that I thought it was going to be, and and lo and behold, somehow my name was introduced, and and I, I just to this day I can't believe, <laughs> Lowell Milken said Brad LaDuke. Uh but it, it was the most surreal 15 minutes of my life, and and I've relived it a million times, and I had an opportunity to talk, and and I, I wish I would have said so many more things. I'm definitely not someone who loves getting up in in front of large people and talking. And it was a, it was a big audience of 2000 people, but I, I don't know. It was, it was very, very surreal. Uh, so what are some of those things? What are those, some of those things that you wish you would have said at the time? I, I wish I would have had every one of the art teachers in my department come up and stand next to me and, and just go, go, go down one by one and, 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 and explain to the crowd that I was standing there because of the great work they did. And, and, uh, that would have been one of the very, very first things I would have wanted to do, but I would have, I wish I would have, you know, been more, uh, cognitive about thanking my students. And, uh, and I think I thank a lot of people, but I, it was such a blurry moment. But it's definitely worth a Google search to see the video. The, <laughs> the photo of the student next to you's surprise on her face is classic that's that's <laughs> life magazine classic photo so uh definitely encourage a little search for people to see your video the other thing that i like to ask you is you you prompt up this idea of teaching kids how to go on a date to an art museum and because if I remember the story correctly, you go to the art museum with your wife, you look at it and go at an element or some sort of artifact and go huh <laughs> and there's another one you go, huh. If, if this is the only thing anybody gets out of this podcast, I hope this is a takeaway. But 
Uh, it's called How to Impress Your Date at the Art Museum. And so DATE uh, is an acronym that stands for Describe, Analyze, Translate, Evaluate. And so I, I try to introduce that to my students uh, every, every semester. And I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of just uh, common f you know, folk in our, in our community who, who typically may not go to art museums, I think one of the reasons is that they, they likely feel a little uncomfortable there. And I mean, I love art, I make art, and sometimes I feel uncomfortable in an art museum because sometimes I don't know how to, like, what am I supposed to do, you know, looking at art? So it's a great, great acronym. And um, like my wife, she... <laughs> For years, like we have First Friday gallery walks in our city, and I'm always, hey, Candace, hey, you want to go out tonight? You want to go check out some art? And, it, and for, for so many consecutive months, it was like, nope. <laughs> she just shooting me down, just shooting me down. Finally got to the point where I was just like, why, why don't you ever want to go to go look at artwork with me? And then she told me uh, kind of the story. Uh, she just said, because all you ever do is, hmm. And I was like, I do what? And she said, yeah, all you ever do is you just hmm this and you hmm that. And, and this, I, I had no idea I did this. And so a couple of months later, we, we had an opportunity to go into Kansas City for a date. And she went with me. She said, yes, that was, that was kind of a big moment. And we're, we're looking around. And I, I remember going into this pretty high-end gallery. And we're, we're looking. I was standing, and we were both standing in front of this. It was a $40,000-plus painting. It was a large piece. And, and I was looking at it and she just throws an elbow into my side pretty hard. It's like, what, what are you doing? What was that for? And she said, you're doing it. And I was like, I'm doing what? She said, you're, you're, hmm. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I didn't even know I did it. And, and, and for the rest of the night, I caught myself doing it. And I, and then I, and I caught my, there's a whole hmm language. There's a, you know, a hmm and there's a hmm. I mean, I, I have, I have it all, but anyways, but we stood in front of that piece and, and I, I said, hey, you know, this is something I, I teach my kids. And so we went through the date model and together her and I standing there without dropping any more. We, uh, we described what we saw, uh, you know, objectively. And then we, we began to analyze what the artist was doing with, you know, maybe elements, principles. And then the best part of the date model is translating it, the T, where you get to come up with what you think their intentions were, whether you're right or wrong. You know, I mean, like Picasso said, every, every piece of art, you know, has basically a mind of its own. It, it will forever be changing based on who's interacting with it. And it's so true. The conversation we had in front of that $40,000 painting, I'm sure was unique and, you know, specific, you know, completely different than any other conversation that had been in front of that. Then you evaluate whether it's, it's uh, done well. So that's, that's the date model. And what I love about it is if you're kind of nerdy, you can pull that out if you're on a date and it, it, it can be a first date. It can be a, uh, a, you know, a date with your wife or your partner. And, uh, and you can, you can either, you know, share what that means with them kind of in a nerdy way, or you can just totally do it without them even knowing you're doing it and start describing and they'll think you're super smart. So that's the, that's the date model. What I love about that answer is that um, is the piece that we each bring our own experiences to how we feel when we're standing in front of a piece of art. And, and I think for a lot of people, going to an art museum, there's, there's an intimidation factor because you think you're supposed to feel a certain way or you're supposed to get something from this, from this artwork. And giving, giving people permission to just feel however they feel in front of that artwork and to, and to get what they get out of it, I think is, um, is, is just, it's liberating in a certain way. I wanna shift gears a little bit though and I wanna ask you about 
specifically art education, arts education. And in the last two decades, we've really seen a narrowing of the curriculum because of standardized testing and other factors, where in a lot of schools, the arts are being pushed out. Why, why is it so important to keep the arts in school? Wow, big question. I, I think that the humanities, you know, the, the arts have a way to, uh, to connect every content area in a, in a way that really very few content areas can. And it, you know, it, it, it goes, goes back into history, uh, just, you know, different ways. Um, you know, every, every student learns differently. And that's something that every educator knows. And, and so I think it's definitely a way to uh, provide, uh, you know, ways for us to connect to kids that are, that are different. I, I can think of tons of kids over the years who I know that the reason they were in school that day was because of my class, you know, because of the opportunities that they were given in, in that room. So, you know, those are, those are different ways. We talked earlier about just voice and, you know, how the arts do have a, an opportunity to give some, certain students a, a voice without saying a word. I think that's, a, that's an, a very, very important part of it, too. I think, you know, just appreciating your, your surroundings, you know, for whatever that's worth and, and whether we're talking visually speaking or intellectually speaking, I feel like the arts allow students, allow adults, allow children to, to connect to themselves in ways that, again, very other or very few other content areas are, are able to do. And I think all of those things are, are super, super important. There's a ton of just research out there, too, as, as far as just the impact that, that the, uh, the visual arts make. And on top of that, you turn your high school into an entire art museum. Like art is hanging everywhere or was in the building you were in before you are in now. Is it still that situation in your current building? It's, it's a little different in our building. And so I'm at a, a new school. This is just my second year here. And, and I think that's one area where we have a lot of opportunity to continue to grow. And that was, that was one, of, one of the decisions I think coming over was just the, uh, you know, the chance to help, you know, grow, continue to grow another art program and what have you. But yeah, I, I definitely am, am a huge advocate of, of putting student work up in the building and for, for students to be able to interact with that. You bet. But with that, you're also spreading the news of what happens in your room because we don't always get to see what's happening in the room right next door to us. So how does presenting artwork or maybe even installing permanent pieces through the building impact the positive uh, support for the arts education in your building? Every, every piece, like, like you said, has a, or like we've discussed, has a life of its own. And so... For, by doing that, when the work's up in the building, it, it, it helps advocate in the moment, but also in the future. It, you know, the idea there originally with, with, you know, creating kind of an art museum in the building was just to help grow a program to where students, as they come in, they interact with those pieces daily. They can be used as a curriculum element to, to talk about process, to, to talk about uh, content, you know, out in the building to like almost go on to those like little mini field trips. And then, you know, to be able to, to, to grow a program in the sense of students being able to see what had come before them. And, and that's, a, that's a huge part of that community in any content area is I think once students realize that it's not all about them in that moment, but there was a whole, whole string of, of, of connections and activities that came before them that allow them to be in that moment where they're at. When they can make those connections holistically, I think it's a huge, huge growth 
for for the for the student and the school for the for the community for the department. I like that word holistic, and that we're trying to grow students holistically. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about cross curricular um, experiences for kids in school, uh, whether it's you know designing curriculum or looking at individual projects. Uh, we often start with the core content areas, and that's in quotes, you know, those that, those that are listening can't see me doing the air quotes with my fingers, but, you know, <laughs> it usually starts with those core content areas. Uh, and then there's a discussion maybe about how can we get the arts into that, right? Like, how do we turn STEM into STEAM? And I think a lot of what you've been talking about with the projects you've described in the last half hour, you're talking about starting with art as the basis and then bringing in the history or the geography or the, um, the cultural competencies mm. or any of the other things that we're talking about. Can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, curriculum wise, why starting with art rather than other subject areas uh, can really be beneficial for some students? That's, that's good. I, maybe to back up just a step, step two, at least my, my view, view on all that is, you know, I, I don't think I've ever advocated that I think like my, you know, art curriculum or my art class is more important than anybody else's content area because I, I don't think I feel that way, but I, I do feel that it's very much an equal, you know, and, and, uh, and that's kind of how I, I, I think I look at it. I think, I think a lot of it, you know, connects again, just to, to, to the humanities and just history and, and again, how the visual arts, you know, are so much the glue behind all those types of things. And so, you know, with that said, uh, using it as a starting point is is welcome to, to students. One, it allows them that there's there can be parameters, but I think it seems more open ended. And I think when things become more open ended, I think that evokes creativity. And and again, if it is more open ended, I think like you know the word we used earlier, it, things become more holistic. And so I think you could either it's it, you could either start at one end of the spectrum, but when you start out there, I just think. It, it allows more doors to be opened initially, which gives you in the end potentially more results that are maybe outside the box, which, which benefits, you know, the students and, and the teachers, I think. So Brad, we're going to ask you a question that we ask of all of our guests, and we're going to ask that you answer it in only one or two sentences. If you could change education in some way to make the world a better place, what would you do? My, my initial thought is resources. I, I think resources are extremely valuable. And I think if every educator had unlimited resources, that, that would be huge. I think that, that would impact kids in a million and one different ways, and, 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 and they would all be positive. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast-related goodies. We'd like to thank Brad LaDuke for being a guest on today's show. Credit for music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we talk about preparing our next generation of teachers with Dr. Sam Fesich, author of EduMagic. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. Until we're together again, continue to dream big and affect positive change.